Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Get Good at Presenting. Today, I've got a brilliant guest, someone who I've been told, I've never actually seen him speak, I'll be honest, but the reason I've asked him to come on is because I do quite a bit of work in various different sectors, and I've often asked people, who's one of the best speakers you've ever heard? And I was asking that at a workshop I was doing a few months ago, and they said, oh, this bloke called Andy, Andy Cope, is what they said. They basically were waxing lyrical about how great he was, and I thought, I wonder if I could persuade him to get him on my podcast and ask him a few questions. So please welcome Doctor, <laughs> in fact. It's a Doctor, Andy Cope. Oh, mate, mate, you've made my day already. So some people are saying nice things about me. That's uh, that's gone straight to my ego as a big ego boost. Yeah, <laughs> and and it is doctor, mate, doctor. I'm currently the UK's one and only doctor of happiness, which uh, which I'm very aware sounds a bit cheesy, but uh, so that's my thing. I do presentations around and keynotes around what we call the art of being brilliant, which is essentially yeah. the science of happiness and well-being. I'm very before we even start, then let's. How do you become a doctor of happiness? <laughs> I have so many one-liners in my head right now. So. Oh, mate. Well, I was going to call myself Dr. Feelgood, but the modern world dictates that's not appropriate anymore. So, <laughs> I've got, so that one's gone. So I'm going to stick with Dr. Happy, happy. So what I basically did, uh, when was it? 2005, I started doing a PhD at Loughborough. In, it's essentially, mate, it's the opposite of what all the other doctors are. So... I studied psychology at uni many, many years ago, and I studied phobias and disorders, anxiety, depression, paranoia, all the stuff that could go wrong with you. So what a twig was for 130 years since psychology had been around, it had always been about what was wrong with you. And so what we were going to do as psychologists was diagnose you with your problem, tell me about it, here's some counseling, some therapy or some medication to make it better. But... For 130 years, psychologists have literally never, ever studied people who are already happy on the, on the grounds of wow. them not being ill. All right, so the, the traditional psychologist would go, why on earth would you waste your time researching happy people because they don't need any help? And I just had this kind of epiphany of, of well, well, we don't know anything about them. I mean, what if we knew who the happy people were for a start? And then what if we sort of interviewed them and find out why they're feeling so amazing? And then what if we could learn from them some tricks and tips of how to yeah. feel amazing and put into our own life. So we wouldn't need counselling, therapy and medication, mate. It is an open <laughs> goal that psychology has missed for 130 years. So I filled that gap in 2005. It took me 12 years. I described myself as a recovering academic. Nearly killed me. But it's quite yeah. ironic that my PhD in happiness made me unhappy in the end. But I got there, mate. Loughborough Uni, 12 years, <laughs> ground it out. <laughs> 12 years man you must have got invited years for a PhD, yeah. you must have got invited to their Christmas parties and uh, well they got sick of me yeah. they just gave it me to go in the end I think I've just out laughing <laughs> welcome you know <laughs> so I'm not very clever mate but I'm a case study in stickability and determination and hanging in there yes yeah I understand so Andy you're speaking you're doing I guess to tell the listeners what kind of audiences and what size of audiences what background I'm just interested in, in you know in who you actually speak to on a weekly basis yeah, yeah, mate. Well, touch wood and all that, increasingly the audiences have got a lot bigger. So I started where everybody starts off with six people in a room in a porter cabin in Scunthorpe. I'll present it to whoever will listen to me. I honestly think, mate, hand on yeah. heart, and I've actually got my hand on heart right now, that actually if you take, so 130,000 academic words in my thesis, but if you lose all the big words and you boil it down to the bare yeah. bones of actually, seriously, how can we all feel amazing in a world that's trying to knock us sideways? 
And it won't have escaped your listeners' notice that mental health is, issues have gone bonkers out there. And I think, you know, just because the world's gone mad doesn't mean we have to. So I um, now I'm, I'm really lucky now that over the last 12, 15 years, I get to do lots of international stuff, big keynotes, you know, thousands of people now. But I'm still very happy to do six people in a porter cabin in Scunthorpe. I'm not bothered. Yeah, I wonder, where, where is this, where is this mythical porter cabin in Scunthorpe? I oh, think I've, we've all been there, right? We, <laughs> <laughs> it's a literal place where I started, man. That's what I did. That was my first ever gig. Well, it was an engineering company. It was raining. Off, uh, there was supposed to be twelve. Only six turned up. We had a great day. We had a great day. But yeah. that's where that's where we all start. Do you know what? Do you know what? And I know you're the PSA, aren't you? And I don't want to put the boot into the what's that? The Public Speakers Association, isn't it? Or something? Professional Speaking Professional. Association. But right, it's okay, I, don't worry. Right, I'm not, not, not putting the boot in. I've been to a couple of gigs right there, and I was absolutely put off that. I went to one where there was a very, very well-known speaker who will remain unnamed, probably one of the biggest speakers in the UK. And because he was on, I paid me money, and I went to have a listen to him. And his advice, and bearing in mind, most of the audience were aspiring speakers, people who want to get into the game that me and you were in. His advice was... Don't sit through other people, you know, at a conference, don't you don't turn up early and sit through other people's talks because they'll put you off. You know, so what you've got to do is rock up, do your thing and then leave. And I would say, mate, that was the worst, singularly the worst advice you could possibly ever give to an aspire. Whether he's trying to put people off, I don't know. But I was cringing at that because I think the opposite is yeah. the case. Whether it's six people in a porter cabin in Scunthorpe or whether it's 3,000 people in an auditorium in Dubai makes no odds, right? They are paying pus- customers and they deserve your best attention. And they deserve, if possible, for you to be there all day to listen and yeah. to tweak things accordingly. Well, I've been, I'm guessing that was, I'm hoping that was quite a few years ago you heard that. It was quite a few years ago, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's fair to say that the Professional Speaking Association, the PSA, has come a long way since then. When I was president a few years ago, I chose the theme of authenticity as my theme. And Steve Bustin, the current president, is even going around, his talk is called Busting the Myths with Bustin, Steve Bustin. So we are, <laughs> we are... We are literally busting all of that bad advice, all of those myths. It's a very different place to how it used to be. But anyway, I'm not here to advertise that. I'm just saying that kind of advice, I would go up to that person at the end and tell them, if not actually heckle them while they say it, because it's such bad advice. It is bad advice, mate. And I, no, I'm not putting the boot into the PSA, but I'm just all, kind of thinking that it was it was yeah. rank bad advice. And I think, you know, any advice for people listening to this is don't ever be like that, honestly. Yeah. Turn up. I was at an event last week. I was speaking at, I think, quarter to two in the afternoon. I was there at 9am getting coffee with everyone else. I was listening to people, learning their names, getting photographs with them to maybe use secretly later. In the, and, I, and I spoke at quarter to two and then I did a follow-up workshop. I was one of the first to arrive and I think I was actually the last person to leave the venue. Yeah. Because by the time I packed up my stuff and everything else and talked to people and given some books away and all the rest of it. I was, the organisers had left. I was the last person to leave. Yeah, mate. But, but you think oh, that's good advice though, because that's yeah. good value. You're giving, you know, it's got the extra mile really. And I think, I think you've got to care. And I think the authenticity is a really big thing. I, I say, because we've got a team now, there's about 20 of us who deliver our kind of positive wow. psychology stuff. And I said, and we had, we have one meeting a year. We had a meeting in last month, we got all 25 of us together in a room. And I said to the lads and lasses, I said, at the end of a, 
conference or at the end of a keynote or at the end of a workshop with us, what you want is your delegates going back home, going, oh my gosh, that was the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I've got to share this with you. This was incredible. What an yeah, experience. Yeah. And if, seriously, once again, hand on heart, if in that, certainly in our game of well-being, if you can't get your audience to go home and say that, then you shouldn't be delivering our material, all right? Because honestly, that's how powerful it should be. I mean, we're really lucky that we're blessed with, you know, delivering a subject that's inherently interesting to most human beings everybody wants to be happier you look around there's a world shortage of happiness at the moment yeah um, so it's kind of it's a really big deal mm. and and some of the people who listen to this their subject might not be quite as sexy i do appreciate we've got a really sexy subject but i, I think it's getting people to go out of your presentation going wow that was incredible that's world class right and you see it every day i see it every day there is a huge gap between being really good at what you do and being world class and i'm kind of really with a passion trying to fill the world class bit is what can we do to make our customers go wow yeah you have an on stage name do you no it's just dr andy just Do- dr andy cope Doctor of Happiness. That's Doctor it. Doctor Happy. Have you been called Doctor Happy? Well, I do get introduced as Doctor Happy, but I mean, that's. I think yeah. that's a really smart way in because I, I'm self-aware enough to know it sounds a bit shite. I do know that, <laughs> yeah. And I know that people will just laugh in my face when I call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Introduce me. No, it's funny, but when I when I was so I was with some public sector people, and like I said, I asked them in the introduction. I asked them the question, "Who's been one of the best speakers you've ever heard?" And yeah, they were saying, "Oh, Andy," and then, then one of them shouted. I think no, Doctor Happy, Doctor Happy. That's what they said. I guess they remember that. They remember you, and I think you have. This might be random to the listeners, but do you do something about pants? I do about pants, mate. Yeah, nice about night the pants. Yeah, see, I the, mean the, that, that has got through. That's, that's, that's that, memorable. See, it's a thing stuff. on the internet, fella. Honestly, we sell loads of merchandise around special pants now. I mean, I'm not going to go into the detail behind that. Essentially, it's about. Very quickly, we we talk about life generally. So the average lifespan, mate, is 4,000 weeks. I'm like you, I do school gigs. So if I announce that to a bunch of primary school kids, they're leaping around the hall going, oh my gosh, that's like amazing, that's like forever, thank you for sharing. But if you announce that at a conference to an adult audience, there's less punching of the air and there's a bit more of a collective gulp and a kind of tumbleweed (laughs) moment as they're like, shit, that's not a very big number, I've used a few type thing. And, And our whole thing around happiness is that we end up reserving our happiness for a special occasion so i'll be happy at the weekend i'll be happy in the summer holidays i'll be happy when i'm in tenerife i'll be happy when i retire and in the same way we end up reserving our special pants for a special occasion (laughs) so our punchline at the end is you know quit waiting why are we waiting until friday to be happy yeah oh because everybody else is that's that's the reason so we're all about kind of shifting your mindset why can't you be happy on a monday who says monday you know we've learned deeply ingrained mate in the british mentality is that mondays are bad and fridays are good so we challenge stuff like that and it's kind of quite funny but you know if you realize you spend a seventh of your entire life on monday then people are kind of (laughs) oh yeah that's quite a big chunk of my life that i've got irritable bastard syndrome about is what we call it Yeah. yeah And, and I could argue, let's argue the other way. Let's give your listeners something to kind of make their head hurt. You could argue, right, that Mondays and Fridays are completely neutral. So the, you spend a seventh of your life on both of those days. Yeah. Mondays have only become bad because I've learned to think about them. And we could reverse the thinking. You could, <laughs> you could suggest that Friday is another week closer to death, couldn't you? Which is true. 
You could, yeah, that would be very cheap. But we're like, oh my gosh, thank gosh it's Friday. It's not thank gosh it's Monday. So once again, reversing the thinking. If because if you right, twelve years of interviewing happy people, mate. Guess what? They live in the same world that I do. They Brexit's yeah. happening to them, and Trump's happening to them, and and they spend a seventh of their life on Mondays as well. But all they've got, they're in the same world, but they've got different mindset, different ways of thinking. And that's what I was looking at for 12 years is what was going on in their heads? Because <laughs> I wanted to be a happy person as well, basically. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I love all that. One thing that's always got on my nerves and I do when I'm working like today, I've got like an admin marketing day interviewing you and doing a few voice. I'm not speaking today. So I'll sometimes have the radio in the background and I switch it. I'm very careful what I listen to because what? What inputs is really important, isn't it, right? Because it can make you really fed up. So I don't listen to the news all the time and that kind of thing. But what I notice is that radio presenters are obsessed with Friday. So you listen to any radio on a Friday, they're always saying, you know, the weekend's nearly here. Friday's nearly here. And they say it all the time. And they have this big countdown to the weekend is here. But when I realise that's, that's all based on the fact that it's all based on the fact that we should hate the rest of the week. That's such a deeply ingrained cultural thing. And that's exactly the whole point is who said Mondays are bad and Fridays are good? What you do is is you look out the window, nobody else seems to like Mondays. So what we do is we join in with everybody else. Of course, it's a human human instinct is to fit in. So as a gregarious creature, you're a pack animal. So you've got a desire to fit in to what is socially normal. So, I mean, you can overdo it. If you bounce in on a Monday morning, all jazz hands going, woohoo, don't those weekends drag. And, and, you know, that somebody's <laughs> going to punch you on the nose. There's an old English word, mate. It's a, a grinagog. And a grinagog is somebody so happy you want to beat them to a pulp. And I think, <laughs> I don't want our audiences quite to get that happy. You know, yeah. if, if you're annoying people with really? it, then that's too far. But there's a, everybody can learn just a couple of things, really, to just increase their own well-being and their own happiness. That's fantastic. Right, we've done 15 minutes on that. I suppose we better start talking about presenting. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. Go on, it is getting good at presenting, isn't it? But I'm so interested in your subject, and, and you're a great guy, Andy. So, so you know, you're a very popular keynote speaker. I guess you, you and your team also do workshops. Can you specify, you know, the difference in the two? So, you know, you might be with a workshop with 20 people in a room or keynoting in front of 200 or 2,000. Can you specify, you know, because you've made that transition, haven't you? From yeah. That, that yeah. Port of cabin. You know, what um, differences have you done? What changes the way you present in a workshop environment or training environment into a keynote speech? Right now. And that's a really interesting question because some people won't differentiate and they'll just do their thing. I started out with the small groups. I started out with the, the 10s and 20s. So I, I, I can still do those. And I, can, I think I can do those pretty well. I think when you... At a conference, if you've got 500 people, then it's more of a performance. It's more of an energy. You've got, and quite often a conference will need a rescue. You'll have been to the same ones I've been to, mate, where, yeah. where you know, it's flat. And the speakers are very knowledgeable, but it's, they're just not great speakers. The slides are all over the place and the, there's no narrative to it. And the, the audience is it's like death by PowerPoint. Yeah. So I think having more of a presence, I mean, our stuff is high energy anyway, but I think if you've got 500 people, they basically, they are going to go away. They're going to catch your energy. If you haven't got any energy on stage with 500 people, then you ain't going to, you're going to die a death. In fact, it boils back down to the PhD again, if you don't mind me going there, is, is human beings, we are contagious. So essentially, your emotions are an open loop. In fact, Daniel Goleman, he's a clever bloke. He talks about emotional intelligence. He talks about, he calls it emotional soup. So in any social situation, 
everybody in the room is having a say in the flavor or, or the atmosphere of the day. So yeah, if there's yeah. 20 people in the room in the training workshop for half a day, everybody's having a say in whether that works or not. Everybody's having a say <laughs> in the atmosphere. Same with 500 people. But so the couple of questions arise out of that is the first of all is what flavor you're adding, <laughs> which is kind of quite a personal thing. You know, am I adding energy and passion and positivity and authenticity or am I adding you know what, my train was late and I can't be asked to be in this room. Or yeah. and the second thing out of that, and I think it's more powerful if you're a keynote speaker, is who's having the biggest say in the flavor of the emotional soup or who's having the mm. biggest say in the flavor. And it's the speaker, it's the trainer. So you, it's like a leadership thing, really. I always say, because sometimes I get introduced as a motivational speaker and I'm like, I'm really not. I, I describe myself as a motivated speaker. So I really seriously care and I give a seriously give a shit about my message and yeah. I really care desperately that people take it on board, but I, I can't motivate the crowd. I can't put the fire in the belly. All I can do is be motivated and be inspired myself. And if I can feel inspired, then I know from the research that I've done that that has got a chance of leaking out of me <laughs> and impacting on the people in the audience. Yeah. So getting yourself inspired is really inspiring yourself first and foremost. It sounds a bit selfish, but looking after number one, having energy, having authenticity and a bit of passion about your message. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, so this event I was talking about last week, I, I won't say where it is so in case my client's listening, but <laughs> it, it was great and I really enjoyed it. But I had to really, I had to grab them by the throat because they'd had a lot of low level kind of boring you know, a lot of death by PowerPoint, lots of little discussion groups and everything else. And the energy was really low when I got up. And I'm at the point now, and I'm, maybe you are too, Andy, where you, you just feel, you know what? I'm just going to go for it here. I'm just going to grab them by the scruff of the neck and I'm going to, you know, drag them along with me, kicking and screaming. And we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some laughter. And after about six or seven minutes, they, they got it. You know, the soup changed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That and you're, but quite often they're paying you quite a lot of money to be that ingredient, aren't they? I mean, that's your job. Look, we've me and you, we're on the circuit. I've seen some stinkers in my time, mate. I've seen, I've seen people who charge an awful lot of money delivering very little, and it kills me. It really, it hurts me. It pains me great, greatly where audiences haven't got a good value for money. And I always, I always think another thing in, in terms of if you wanted to be a presenter or if you already are, I always say to my team that you're that your presentation starts the minute you show up basically so i mean sometimes you you maybe you're on fourth or, or whatever but sometimes yeah. you're running a workshop and you've met an inset day a teacher training day is classic right so you might have five schools turning up you've got 150 teachers rocking up and i always put i've got maybe about 20 different powerpoints that i would just flick through gradually as delegates are arriving so if you're there early and mm. you're sitting down every time you look up at the screen there'll be a slightly different PowerPoint on there uh, and funny ones, you know, good ones, po positive ones, nice ones. And people take pictures of them as they're going through and people just notice it's always oh, a bit different. And there's music on. I don't yeah. know about you, but I have music and I turn it up as loud as I'm allowed to. So when delegates are coming in, the place is rocking, you know, Great. and there's different PowerPoints on. So I just think it starts well before you stand up and do your thing. And the other thing I, I also talk about is, is I say that everything talks, so in terms of that, I mean, it's the way you look, it's what you're wearing, it's the time you show up, it's it's the look on your face. It's, it's yeah. So it's so, crucial that you're in the zone and you look professional. Although I turn up in jeans and T-shirt, I've got a happy T-shirt and jeans is, is my thing. But that's talking, that's giving a message before I come on. Yeah. So some people are really obsessed with what you wear on stage. 
people, you know, oh, I couldn't possibly go on stage without a tailored suit and all this kind of stuff. When did you land with the kind of jeans and T-shirt? And has any of your clients complained to you about that? Nobody's ever complained, no. I, we're back to your word that you started with authenticity. I'm a just yeah. a kind of, I'm from Derby, mate. You know what I mean? I'm not an Armani <laughs> suit man. <laughs> I haven't yeah, got yeah. a bloody Armani suit. So I wear my T-shirt. It's got, it says happiness all over it. And then I've got a couple of T-shirts I normally give away as well. So I always kind of reveal the T-shirt and say, I'm the doctor of happiness. It says happy all over me. And I've got a couple of prizes here. And that's, that's another thing, isn't it? I think as a, as a trainer, what I've found is really, really good value in giving a couple of T-shirts away. Because yeah. people will absolutely take part if they think there's a chance of winning a happy T-shirt. So another yeah. trick of the trade there, I think. That's great. And if you, if you get to give the T-shirt to someone who's quite grumpy, it has an element <laughs> to it, doesn't it? So, I like the grumpy ones. I used to be a bit afraid of the grumpy ones, but generally we can turn them around now. Once they, re- yeah. they realise it, like, I, I promise people, right, there's no bullshit, there's no psycho babble. You might not like me, but I seriously care. And if you, I would, I, quite often I tell my audiences, if you let me be me, right, we're going to have a cracking time. I don't know if you've fallen foul of this fella, is that in recent times, the world has changed very quickly in terms of political correctness, like seriously quickly. Yeah. So some of our traders, I mean, I may, I may as well name one of our, one of our guys, Andy Whitaker. I love him to bits. He's a comedian, first and foremost. I met Andy about 10, 12 years ago. He's been with us for ages. And he's a comedian first and a personal development trainer second. He's the funniest guy that I've ever met. And what he could get away with 10 years ago, he cannot get away with now. (laughs) So he's occasionally falling foul of an audience that is a little... So let me give give an example. Whether it's funny or not is a moot point, right? But... And it's not Andy's gag, but I once heard a speaker say, my wife ate something that put her right off sex. And then he waited a second and we all are going, what is wedding cake? All right. Now, I personally, <laughs> yeah, you see, you're laughing at that, mate. I don't think you can tell that gag in a in a, no. an audience, sadly. But no. I think it's funny. But I suppose, I suppose a comedy club is different to. That's true. That is, true. is different to being at work, isn't it? And yes. I mean, particularly, I mean, I, I think in the private sector, you can probably do stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't tell like any sexist jokes, anything like that, but you probably get away with more in the private sector. I think it's the public and voluntary sector that have much more of a, much more of a radar. Do you do after dinners, by the way? No, I've done one or two, but I mean, I'd probably do another couple, but they're very specific after dinners. You do have to be really entertaining and you have to be a comedian for an after dinner. Nobody wants something deep after dinner. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who do it. I interviewed John Atauka on here who does lots of after dinners and he, he tells me horror stories of an after dinner, you know, speaker. They don't get on till like 20 to 11 at night, you know? Yeah. And I just think, no, do you know what? I mean, I'm a night owl, but I don't think anyone's going to look, want to listen to me at 20 to 11 at night, you know? No, I agree with it. I think it's a very specialist thing. So, yeah, and it's comedy first and foremost. But even at those, you've got to be a bit careful, I think. I mean, I do a couple, but I do make it absolutely clear that I'm not a a comic. I'm supposed to be an academic, for heaven's sake, you know. So I I normally do pre-dinner. I say, can I just do before we have a beer? Or when we've just got our first beer, we all sit down. Before the soup arrives, I'll do half an hour then. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, it's, it's probably the beer that's the issue, isn't it? I did an education one. It went really well, actually. But they did have me on early. But I was even hosting it. I did. Someone dropped out, and this charity, this local charity in Leeds, quite a big charity. They they asked me to step in and host the event, and it was fine. You know, they gave me a little bit of money, but that wasn't the issue. I just said, yeah, look, I'm happy to help out. 
But even there's a host of an an after dinner thing, an award ceremony. That was really hard work. It was a different ball game because they just, people just ignore you most of the time. You know? They do, they do. Yes, I, I, I can remember doing one. I got, I just got angry because nobody was listening to me. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> because it's really important that you listen. I'm going to change your life here, and they were like, "I don't know, pass the salt and you know, let's have another beer." So yeah, so, this, yeah, this, yeah. It's this a waste doctor of, of happiness. Of the... looks a bit miserable. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's an irony there somewhere. This yeah, audience yeah. is making me unhappy. So, yeah. so, so different audiences are different. Are you? Maybe you can't give away these secrets. I don't know, Andy. But, but if you were booked to do teacher training with you know 50 staff in a primary school and then you were doing a keynote talk to 500 people are you using roughly the same content i am i have got quite a bit of flexibility now over the years i mean i used to rattle when i first started i would you would hone it and then pretty much rattle out the same keynote every time and i've thankfully i've got away from that i do appreciate some people still do that and i've not i've got a problem with it if it's cracking content i'm very flexible and in fact i i hate working from you know when your laptop isn't with you because i i've got loads of i've got about 200 powerpoints and i can select according to how the audience is reacting so during the little activities that i'll do i'll kind of tweak things and change things and pull this in and drag that out and not everybody's got that flexibility. I think it comes with having an eye for an audience eventually and knowing what they need. So I don't tend to do a yeah. fixed thing anymore, which yeah, I don't I, know. I quite like the idea because in my book, uh, the listeners will hear me talk about it, but I talk about chunks, you know, that you, mm. you know, a talk is a series of chunks of stuff and what you're doing is selecting your chunks really, aren't you, to the audience. And I think I definitely do that. That's why I'll never, like one of the questions I get all the time is, the organizers ask me for my slides in advance. I'm like, well, I never just, I never send them because I will literally change them on the day. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad in, it's not just me then, mate. No, seriously, I will oh. do that as well. I mean, I'll, I'll send them something if they want it, but I said, I'm probably not going to cover this, but you can have these. Yeah. They're just ticking a box at their end, but they really, if you want to get the best speaker, you want someone who's in the moment, you know? Yeah. And, and one little tip that I've done is I've, if I get a chance, I meet some people during the day and I take some selfies with them. And then I put those selfies into my talk. Oh, that's clever. That's 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 why you're the bloody professional fella. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> so, I like that a lot. Because n- nobody loves anything more than seeing their colleagues up on the screen, right? Yeah. So it's like I was talking to John and this and John and John and Harriet, and they said this, and then they get you get a big round of applause. They love it, you know. I mean, and you know, and they know that I'm not reeling out my standard. Yeah. Stick. Yeah. You know I mean. And yeah. You know, clients love that kind of stuff. Audiences love it, you know. Um, yeah. No, I guess we've got our core content that we kind of like to get over there. But how I, the other thing about the team, having a team, is that I, I've never, ever given them a set of slides and said, right, go and deliver that how I deliver it. Really? I, we, I, I will say, look, here's, come and have a look at a couple of the trainers' training, and then you can say it. But if you can deliver it better than us, then we'll have you. That's what we're looking for, really. Wow. When I first started, Matt, I worked on a program in the – I was working in a uni – it was before PowerPoint. How bloody hell, how long ago was that? Acetates, remember that? Acetates. <laughs> Acetates, never heard and of it. Them. Was, uh, it was a university, um, but they had a corporate program that was delivered all around the, around the country for a particular public sector organisation. And I got a pack of 300 acetates and I had to deliver them in a day, right? I had to deliver uh, them in your exact order. That, that, I mean, wow. And I did. I did. I didn't know any better. Oh my gosh, wow. it kills me now. To be on the receiving end of that must have been so grim. So, well, so I, I go to the other extreme, mate. I'm going like, well, you can have my slides if you want them, but 
create your own, do your own thing. And I know you're big on PowerPoints, and I think PowerPoint is a really strong point of mine. So I'm not, I'm not claiming to the best speaker in the world, but my PowerPoints are lush. Uh, they are big, and they fill the screen, and they either are, add something or they prompt me to say something, or, or the, but they are so good, I think, in comparison with some of the other ones I've seen. But yeah. I took that top tip from you. When we met you, met, met you, you were you were Mr. PowerPoint. I thought, do you know what? My, I need to have a right good look at my slides. So I yeah. did, and I binned them and started again. Good. So thanks for that. Well, hey, I'm very happy to help. Very happy to help. My, my book's still available, PowerPoint Surgery. You're very welcome to uh, find that. <laughs> um, me and slides, I guess. I, don't, I do it now, but in the context of presentation skills, it's about you know, 50, 60% of my work and the rest of the time I'm on stage. But I, it was just amazing me that people were never, never even looked at their slides. It was like, it was, I call them slides of the, the last sausage on the speaker's barbecue, you know, <laughs> they never, they never looked at them. They, they used to work on their scripts. They'd think about what they're going to wear. You know, they'd go and get the tailored suit. They'd do everything. And then they just chuck up some random slides. Isn't that strange? But you, you said, you said earlier that you had, you have slides that are on before you're even on. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we so just quotes and things and yeah, quotes and stuff. I mean, we we're lucky to work with a, a lady who does some really nice slides for us. So I'll just pick out messages that might be relevant for that audience and just I don't know, put twenty together and just flick through them. And it's just it just gets things ticking over before because most people don't do that. I think if you look around at what everybody else does and don't do that, that's probably good advice. <laughs> you know, for, for you, I started out in higher education, further education, mate. So straight out of uni into adult education, and I fell into the trap of I come from uni, so everything was in one hour chunks. It was a doddering yeah. old lecturer at a lectern who would read some boring old notes from his own book put a couple of acetates on and then bugger off after an hour and i learned to do that as well because you look around you fit in so that's i was doing it wrong for eight years i didn't realize wow. um, so it's only until you sort of get access to actually go to a conference and watching a proper speaker that you think yeah. oh my gosh i've been doing it wrong all these years so so for you it was the because this is really fascinating cause this is like this is good psychology stuff because to you it was the, you didn't realize there was another way to do it it hadn't crossed my mind, mate. I had not crossed my mind for an inkling that your slides could be good or that you could have energy on stage or that you could. I hadn't ever moved in those circles. I'd just done academia yeah. and I'd just watched lecturers and I'd become a lecturer by accident. And it's quite a big epiphany moment to realize that there was a different way <laughs> and that I could not only change the subject matter. So instead of from normal traditional psychology, what was wrong with you to what was right with you, that was a big change. But then yeah. if you're going to deliver that, then that needs to be delivered with some serious oomph. So, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, game-changing, really, for me. And I know, so, mate, fear. Just talk about fear, because this is I'll take this as a surgery, right? Is I'm, I'm 12 years in, I'm still terrified. Is that right? <laughs> You're still <laughs> terrified wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's several things going in, in play here, isn't there? One is that we should be a little nervous, because that's good for us, right? Y yes, I suppose it's because I care. I do care. Yeah, because if job. you... Yes. If you if you just sort of rocked up on stage, yeah, all right, I'm I'm Andy, I'm a doctor in it, you know, I'm gonna tell you some stuff and uh yeah, we'll see how we go. That's it's not gonna be great, is it? No, it's not gonna be great. <laughs> so I think I think sometimes I think we I think they see things as nerves and anxiety as a negative thing when actually that or two that can be a good thing. You know, you probably know do you know Steve McDermott? Um, no, I do know Steve. Speaker. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm gonna visit him tomorrow, I'm gonna interview him too. And Steve's great. And I remember him talking about the you know you, you got to make it feel like christmas morning that was his thing 
you know, that I was, as a kid, I was nervous coming downstairs on Christmas morning, wondering where the Santa had been. So I was nervous, but it was a good anxiety. It was a yeah, good nerves, yeah, yeah. not a bad nerves. My mouth wasn't dry. I wasn't panicking, but I was also a little bit on edge just to bring that edge, I think. Yeah. Okay. That's good advice, mate. Thanks for that. Yeah. Huh? So it's excited, excited, nervous energy instead of sheer panic, isn't it? Yeah, you can you can freeze like a rabbit in the headlights, can't you? Or you can just be on your toes a little bit, thinking, oof, you know, and having that feeling like, yeah, I think I still need to go to the toilet, even though I just went, <laughs> even though I just went three minutes ago. I call it the phantom wee. <laughs> is that a man of a certain age thing, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure. No, it is. no, this is that. No, I used to, I used to have this one in my twenties when I was in bands and stuff like that, because the guys in my band were just like, Lee, you just beat the toilet, you don't need to go again, but because. Because uh, what anxiety brings, of course, is it wants to clear your system out, right? Yeah. You know, without being too graphic, it wants to remove any excess weight, I think. <laughs> That's... Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. God, there's more science there in that than, than I've said all in, in the last half hour, fella. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, very good. But no, there you go. So there's something there. But yeah, I'm going to do a few episodes around anxiety. I've got some great people. I've got some counsellors and some neurologists and people lined up to talk about anxiety so i'm going to do go a bit of a deep dive into that one in, in the next few episodes i think so yeah i think i've got can i can i start that then start that is um i can't quite remember this if i can tell the story it's called rule number six don't know if you've heard it i got it out of a no. book by benjamin zander apparently true story two sort of presidents talking to each other in the white house yeah so the american one talking to somebody the other one and they're having a good old talk about something and then the american president's aide came up to him and whispered something in his ear and the president just goes, oh, thanks for that. Thanks for reminding me. So the other guy says, well, what did he just say? And he said he reminded me about rule number six. So he says, what's rule number six? He says, rule number six is don't take yourself too seriously. So the other guy says, oh, that's really interesting. What are the other five rules? And the president says, there aren't any. <laughs> and, I, and I kind of quite <laughs> like that as a, as a speaker, I think, is maybe if we don't take ourselves too seriously. And if yeah. we realise that actually it should be good fun, and the more fun we're having up there on stage, the more fun yeah. the audience will be having as well. So, and, and chill, think, things might go well go right. wrong, but it's not I like that. And I think maybe also we can, you know, I think we could, we need to remove the messiah complex a little bit as well, <laughs> because you know anxiety comes when you think you're going to solve everybody's problem in a 32 minute talk. You know, we're not God Almighty. Just go and do your thing. And just lower, in some ways, I always say, you know, just lower the bar a little bit, you know, because yeah. you're not going to solve every problem in the world in a half hour talk. So go out there, enjoy it, but just take the pressure off yourself a little bit, you know? Yeah, good man. You see, good that's man. made me feel nice and calm and relaxed as well. Well, that's special. Well, that's fantastic. Well, we've spoken a lot. We could speak all day, but I guess we need to stop. Any couple of quick tips that you could give a speaker who wants to get to where you want to be? And, you know, be doing the big keynotes and bringing energy on stage. A couple of quick tips to finish. Um, a couple of quick tips. I think I think you can't beat hard work, mate. Honestly, you cannot beat hard work. And here's yeah. the downside. The downside of my job is not is not the keynote speaking. That's great. It's the it's the mileage. It's the trundling <laughs> up and down the M6 and the M1 and whatever. So I think hanging in there as well. I think in the early days. In fact, I, we've, just, we've got a couple of new guys in the team who are desperate to be a big keynote speaker straight off. 
And I'm like, come on, you're 26. You, you don't know anything yet. And I think graft, hard work, and be prepared to put five years of hard graft in, talking to six people in a porter cabin in Scunthorpe, and sometimes you'll be doing that more than you more than you imagine. So hanging in there, I think, and and sheer graft and hard work yeah. has got me where I am. So I would give those as my top tips. Probably not very inspiring, but that's the truth. No, I quite like it. I think you know I have I, I like this phrase of you know like time was invented for a reason. You know, you should experience is a good thing. You know, we should use time because sometimes you can't replace time on your feet. You can't replace doing random you know, gigs in the middle of nowhere, you can't replace that stuff. You have to go through it. You know, we have to go through and put our time on our feet, really, and get up there and do it. Yeah, Great. So uh, how can how can people find out a bit more about you, Andy? We are artofbrilliance.co.uk, and we've also just launched, so if that's the kind of businessy keynote workshop stuff, which we think is the best in the world, but also we've just launched Brilliant Schools. So we're trying now to get... Like it's like a subscription thing. It's not for profit, but subscription thing where schools will sign up to a like Netflix, but for well-being. Well-being is such an issue now. We've got loads of high-quality videos on brilliant.school. School sign up, put money in the pot. And we produce videos, and it's ace. So that's what we're pushing at the moment. That's my next ten years. Fantastic. Sounds absolutely brilliant. Oh yeah. And so before I go, I must just remind the listeners a little cheeky plug for myself that my audio books just come out. So it's. Get Good at Presenting, the book is now an audiobook and it's available on iTunes and Audible and everywhere else because I know people were really keen to get an audiobook. So I've put the work in, Andy, and I've made it into an audiobook. There so you go, there you boom. Go. Magic. So there you go. So thank you to Andy, Dr. Happy, for Art of Brilliance. And you can find out more details from his website, which is artofbrilliance.co.uk. Is that right? Indeed it is, sir. Indeed. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Fantastic. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, keep up the good work. Cheers now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host, Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz.